What's up, rockers? Welcome to another episode of the Talk Louder podcast, where we geek out on all things rock and roll. Hit that subscribe button on our YouTube channel. Leave us your likes and comments. You can also leave likes and comments on our Facebook page and follow us on iTunes and Spotify. I'm Metal Dave Glessner, along with my co-host Jason McMaster. What's up? And man, I can I think I speak for both of us when I say we are honored beyond belief to have drummer extraordinaire Bobby Jarzombek as our so a guest. Few, a few a few episodes back, didn't you say? Because we've got a doozy for you today, didn't you say that? Yes. <laughs> this, uh, yes. One's a, this one's of even bigger doozy. If it's, you could. It's a double doozy. It's a double doozy. I was just right. going to say that. Yes. Bobby Jarzombek, Jar, Jarzombek uh, what an illustrious career. He's played drums for Juggernaut, uh, Rob Halford, Sebastian Bach, Fate's Warning, Riot. Um, and he was recently announced as the brand new drummer for George Strait's band, country megastar George Holy cow. Strait. What a gig that's got to be, right? And uh, we're going to talk to Bobby about all of that stuff, and we might as well just get right into it. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Bobby Jarzombek to the Talk Louder podcast. Oh, yeah. Man. Yay. We are honored yeah. to have you, man. Uh, drummer extraordinaire. Uh, what a cool. career. And um, I got to ask you right off the top, are we – are we possibly the first media outlet you've talked to since the uh, the announcement of you getting the George Strait gig? Is this an exclusive? No, I did a podcast last week. Sorry to say, dudes. No, uh, it's, it's did, all good. It's all good. <laughs> I did a drummer sort of podcast with a friend of mine. Uh, and uh, uh, it was like uh, maybe less than a week ago. And uh, I haven't done in it. Uh, I don't think I've done a, like an interview, but yeah, I did, I did one podcast last week. <clears throat> and I'm trying to, you know, like, if I don't do it right away, I know when uh, Jason asked me about it, I was like, hey, can we do it as soon as possible? Because uh, if not, I forget, you know, and or yeah. I have to be reminded or stuff comes up and that sort of thing. So it's cool, yeah, that we're getting getting to do it right, you know, quick after uh, all this stuff yeah well i i know that i had i had uh, sort of sent you a later date so i i was happy that we had a a spot for you as well yes yeah good so uh bobby we're gonna touch on all uh periods of your career obviously but um tell us real quick uh why i have the fly swatter no yeah the fly swatter for those of you who are listening and and not watching bobby's got uh some flies buzzing around that he's taking out periodically with a fly swatter <laughs> it's pretty entertaining don't don't worry we asked him to do it with drumsticks and he accepted the challenge but i've yet to see the sticks come into play here. yeah he might just do a paradiddle on a couple of flies here in a minute mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but so bobby tell us when when was the announcement officially made how did you get the news walk us through the audition bring us up to date on the whole george Strait thing well uh you know, uh, could I tell like the whole story, like yeah. uh, about my background with the whole thing and all that yeah. Uh, yeah. with, with yeah. country music? Yeah. I think maybe I should start there just because 
we're going to talk about we're going to talk about all your your heavy metal and the we're going to talk about the fates warning we're going to talk about the baz sebastian box stuff we're going to talk about how we're going to dig into all of it but let's talk about what's going on right now and how you got well uh yeah first of all uh you know i think i know that it's kind of bizarre to people that uh some people that I've, you know, I'm, I'm doing this George Strait gig and how I got it and that stuff. And everybody's, you know, thinking, well, he, you know, he's a heavy metal drummer and all that. But first of all, you know, I started playing country music when I was 17 years old, kind of the, right at the same, when I was a senior in high school. And um, it was um, uh, this teacher that was, that, that I had English teacher. She had a country band. She played fiddle. And she asked me if I would be into playing country music, playing in her country band. And I was like, well, you know, I know a little bit of country music from my dad and growing up and that sort of thing, but didn't really know anything about it. But that's when I started to play country music when I was 17. And, uh, you know, as soon as I got out of high school, I started playing more and more country music. I didn't go to college, you know, for and all that. I didn't get, get into the work cycle of, of working somewhere. It goes a fly swatter. And, uh, but I, so I started playing country music around town with bands and it was kind of my way to make some money and that sort of thing. And I started to get, you know, better and better at it, I guess. Same as, you know, the metal thing, how we all, we all get better as we sort of, um, learning cover songs and, you know, learning the style and all that stuff. And so through the years as my metal career sort of kind of, took off and whatever so did my country sort of stuff as far as playing sessions around town um and uh you know playing with different bands and all that and you know gradually getting to play with better and better players and you know and uh as i mentioned playing on records touring and and everything else it's just that you know i guess a lot of people didn't know that more about me but um you know right around I guess, you know, all the members of George Strait's band are from uh, are are from uh, the the Texas area, or most of them are, and um, San Antonio uh, and New Braunfels, uh, Austin, San Marcos area, and so over the years I got to play with some of those guys, but in 2013, uh, that's when um, I started playing with a guy, Freddie Cruz. Uh, local guy who did a record, you know, that sort of thing. But he, his, the leader of his band is Ronnie Huckabee. And H- Ronnie Huckabee is the, is George Strait's uh, musical director and piano player. And I've done some work with, with Ronnie, but not a whole lot. But as, as uh, we started doing this regular gig and 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 we were playing every weekend, you know, and in some weekdays, you know, we're playing two, three days a week, uh, nights, a, nights a week. And I guess our relationship got to be pretty good as far as, you know, learning songs and, you know, and number charts and all that sort of stuff. And uh, so I guess he started to get a lot of faith in me and my playing and, and you know, working things out and doing my homework and all that sort of thing. So, um, but I had that gig for a few years and then I would go off and leave and do the Sebastian thing or Fate's Warning. And then he would, you know, go out and do the George Strait stuff. And then what happened was um, in 2018, George Strait's uh, drummer that George had since 1991 
died, uh, Mike Kennedy, in a, in a car accident, actually. He was from San Antonio, but he was in Nashville and had been living there for years and years. And he had been with George for like 27 years, something like that. And so, I mean, it was tragic for, for them, the loss, you know, as well as, you know, I mean, the band and for George and all that sort of thing. And, and Mike was not only playing with uh, the, uh, Ace and the whole band, but he was also playing in a corporate band that uh, we kind of, it's a kind of a dance hall and corporate country band called the Texas Jam Band, which features four members of George's band. So George's band is, is a big band. It's, a, it's basically a nine piece band with, uh, with two backup singers and George. So, uh, but this Texas jam band had four members of the band. And so, and this was 2018 when Mike died. And, uh, and so Huck asked me if I would be interested in playing with the jam band doing those gigs. And so for the last couple of years, I had been playing with, you know, four guys in the band and of George's band and in the, the same thing, sort of, you know, the relationships get better and, you know, the gigs and all that, and the, you know, working together. And so what happened was during this last year and a half, uh, George, then when Mike Kennedy died, George hired a studio drummer that had done a lot of national, great studio drummer, uh, Lonnie Wilson. And so Lonnie played the last year and a half with George Strait. So when George, uh, after this whole pandemic and they're, you know, everybody's getting back together and, and it had been 14 months since those guys had done a gig with George Strait. And so um, at that point, for some reason, and I don't really know the exact reason, but George decided he wanted to make a change in the drummer's spot or whatever. And I, I guess maybe he asked Huck, or maybe, you know, like, it was like, well, you know, I think I want to make a change or whatever. And my name came up. And so it's, it's a weird thing how, you know, like, I mean, the good thing is I already had been playing with four and sometimes five members of the band, depending on uh, what the, you know, what uh, the gig is and that sort of thing. So uh, stepping into the George Strait thing was cool for me because I know the style. I know everything about George Strait, as you know, being in Texas and, and growing up in the Austin area, as you guys have, and and that sort of thing. George Strait is king of country music, and, uh, and I've been playing his songs, you know, since I was, you know, since he came out in, you know, the early 80s and learning those tunes and all that. So, um, and it just kind of led into this gig with George Strait. It's, it's crazy. Yeah. Totally crazy. I mean, I hope that kind of answers the whole sort of thing of no, it, how country music and and uh, the George thing kind of came about. Yeah, we it, did a. I did a. I did a, a private gig with him a few weeks ago in Austin. So we had done three rehearsals, and um, and then the gig, and uh, it went well. And and uh, thirty songs. You know, it was an hour and 45, 50 minute gig. And uh, it went really well. And George texted me the next day and said, great job. And he said, see you in August. And August is the, yeah, the first shows of uh, is Vegas uh, before the rest of the, uh, and then I, you know, and so I got the, the tour dates for 
the rest of uh, 2021 and 2022. So that is crazy, man. Congratulations. Yeah. That's, that's, yeah, that's, that's big, huge, huge, yeah. big, man. Um, that's big. I, I want to, I want you to do the thumb. You got the thumb. So Bobby's thumb is different than everyone else in the world's <laughs> thumb. It is. And I just yeah. want everyone to look at that for a second who's watching us and not listening to us. Tell us about, don't you, isn't that kind of like a, like famous for you now, the thumb? I guess so. What happened was about. Dave, do you know about that? I don't know about that. You don't thumb. know about that? I've seen, I've seen texts and people talk and like, yeah, the thumb there. Look, there's the thumb. And, and like, it's pretty, it's pretty good. About maybe 10 years ago or so, um, uh, a friend of mine started noticing that I was doing that in photos and I just kind of did it a few times. And when a friend of mine told me that I looked at some photos and I said, yeah, I guess I do do that. Yeah. And so it turned into anytime somebody brings out a camera, I do it just on purpose now, of course. <laughs> and so there's very few photos of me where I'm not doing it. Right. It's but I do it every picture. time, just as a goof, you know, just kind of, just as a, a goof or whatever. And it's gotten to be sort of that thing. And uh, and then later on, like Mike Portnoy even like put a post out one time and said, Bobby's thumb needs its own Facebook page. Yeah, you know? that's what it was. And I, I started, <laughs> that's when I started noticing it when, after Mike said something about it. So, so here's the deal. It's like, it's not the same thumb as like, uh, you know, you know, Ace Freely does this in every photo. Every oh, photo, Eddie. Ace Freely's doing this. And I have a photo of myself and Eddie Ojeda from Twisted Sister. And he does it. And wow. I don't, I'm not, I, I don't know. I mean, they're both New Yorkers. So I don't know if that's a New York guitar player thing, but I know that it's an Eddie and an Ace <laughs> thing. But wow. their thumb does not look like yours. So you got that going for you. <laughs> yeah, uh, this one doesn't even look like mine either. No, hell no. Nobody <laughs> <laughs> nah. gave me that. But that's hysterical anyway. that you have that. Oh yeah, that's a it's it's now it's immortal. It's immortal now. <laughs> so, so I don't know. I don't know really. Like I said, how it started, but I did for my own Facebook page, Bobby Stum, and it's you know it's out there. Yeah, and I have like some friends, and and I was posting, and I thought it was really kind of funny for a little while, for a few weeks, and then I got kind of bored with it. <laughs> <laughs> that doesn't surprise me. I mean, a, a a page for your thumb doesn't sound very deep. You know, he needs a page. Yeah, I know. He, he needs and, a page for his goatee as well. You yeah, know what I mean, <laughs> I started. I started doing a thing as you know, like talking in the third person of my as my thumb, you know, yeah. and like making comments about Bobby. You know, I like, like, I like it. <laughs> <laughs> like your thumb, was, your thumb detaches at night and goes and has gets on your those posts about you. Yeah, exactly. That's yeah, freaking yeah. awesome. So, so Bobby, you're, you're, you're not yet started the tour with George, but you've obviously spent time in the same room with him. Um, sure. what's, what's he like as a, as a person and what's he like as a bandmate and, a you know, someone to work with what's give us a little insight on George Strait since the rest of us just know him from magazines and albums and that sort of thing. Well, you know, it, it's interesting because when I had a conversation with him on the phone, 
And I told him, I said, I'm going to be nervous. I said, I'm really going to, you know, I'm going to be nervous. I said, but I know the gig and I'm going to do a good job, you know, and whatever. And, and, and that sort of thing. So when he walked into the room, uh, you know, we were all there and we hadn't played a note until, you know, kind of he got there, which I thought was going to be, I thought it was going to be a little strange because of the fact of, you know, like with Halford, you know, I had kind of rehearsed with the band, you know, for a bit before Rob kind of walked in, but it was like, I thought I was going to be nervous and I was somewhat, but it, it's kind of weird because I knew I had a job to do and I knew, I mean, I've been doing this for a lot of years and, but it just turned into, you know, we started going through the set and, and it was all great, you know, and, you know, working out the tunes and, and that sort of thing. And then we took a break and, um, and we did those three rehearsals and we took a break halfway through the rehearsals uh, on each, each rehearsal and, and had lunch. And uh, he's just really cool. I mean, it was just basic sort of, you know, like, you know, yeah, you know, talking about the weather and talking about this and that and just hanging out at, you know, and at the studio, it was, it was so relaxed and so normal that, I mean, it was, it's weird. It, yeah, there's it, like no, there's like no, no story, no quirkiness, no, 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 not at all. Weird thing happened during, you know, nothing. It's like almost not, not going to say boring, but yeah, nothing. Yeah, just, normal. Yeah, regular conversation yeah. sort of stuff, you know, and he's, you know, he's, he's, you know, very nice and, uh, and, uh, just, talking about you know the, the basic sort of sort of stuff you yeah. know whatever it might be you know music or or you know you know as i mentioned like the weather or this or that or i mean it was just sure i don't know it was it was it was very very normal you know yeah. which is which is very very well, it's very cool of course yeah yeah, yeah. you want at, at this i mean we're we we are it's no secret uh, we're we are becoming older gents now um, yeah. and so you want that you want a little bit of comfort you don't want to work for any jackasses just for the paycheck you don't want to you know you don't you don't want to do something that's gonna just like you don't want to do anything just for the paycheck you want to be into it and so right. that that entails you want to work for and be with other pros and people who are on can can bring it to whatever level it needs to be to make everyone have a a good time, a professional mm -hmm. time, and not waste anybody's time. Right. And at the same time, just good people. And the fact that, like you're saying, the the names that you, I'll just say, the names you dropped, are Southern Texas gentlemen. Mm -hmm. And That's true, it, it's kind of a definition there. You know, it says it all. Yeah. I think, you know, I mean, obviously, as you mentioned, we're older and that sort of thing. But I think, you know, I mean, when you're younger, I think, you know, there is all that sort of garbage that you sort of carry with you, you know, about egos and sort of, uh, you know, just weirdness. And yeah. and I think, you know, as you get older or whatever, I mean, you, you're correct with all you want to do is you want to work with cool people. You know, you want to work with people that, you know, get along and play music and, 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 you know, no attitudes. And, and I think that, uh, 
I think, you know, that it just, it, it seems like it, it's that way more and more as you kind of get a little bit older, you know, like it's, yeah. I mean, it's depressing sometimes if I look at, you know, like, you know, uh, you know, forums, you know, where it's a drummer forum or something, something, and guys have all these, you know, opinions and everybody's trying to make their mark and say all these weird things about other guys and stuff like that. I mean, it's, it's kind of sad in a way, you yeah, know, very and, sad. Yeah. And so, I think, uh, I mean, it's it's nice to be in this this place in my life, and I know you probably feel the same way. Where, yes. it, yeah, it's gotten things have gotten, you know, easier and better almost, you know, yeah. in a lot of ways. Well, I I learned a long time ago, and you both of you guys can chime in on this. I learned a long time ago that your credibility doesn't have an ego your reliability all of your what it is you do is going to be the reason you get hired to do something else exactly yeah everything that you do from here on out if you step in shit someone's gonna remember that so you just once you do it you apologize and you move on and you mm -hmm. and you become but see that's a learning process Right. So let's hope that these, you know, people who go on and talk shit because they think it's going to get them somewhere, which we all know that it's not. Sure. Let's call that a, a turd that they're stepping in and they, they don't even realize they're just standing in manure talking all this shit. They're basically shitting on their own feet. <laughs> I guess so. Yeah. <laughs> Bobby. You know. And and it's even true, you know, like it's it's funny because I mentioned Huck, you know, Ronnie Huckabee and stuff, and like he's a guy, he gets to the gig and the and rehearsals and stuff before everybody. I mean, he's always the first one there, you know, he's like the, he's the piano player, right? Yeah. Okay. And and it's like so it's almost like, hey man, it's kind of cool to show up a little late or whatever like that. And it, it's not cool, you know. I mean, it's 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 just yeah. not. And or or whatever. And it's like for some reason, you know, it, you think, well, you know, maybe he's just eager to get there, whatever it would be. But it's a really pro thing. And and those kind of things, I mean, I think. I think when I, if I do something and I come to a gig and I'm really, really prepared, overly prepared, that's something like somebody that him really appreciates. You oh know? my God, yeah. yeah. And, and so I think that those sort of things are, you know, they're, they're just, you know, you can't stress the importance of it. So I, I know you haven't been out on the road yet with George, at least not extensively, but when you do go out, um, uh how do you imagine it being compared to being out with like sebastian bach or rob halford is is uh, to me it seems like the sebastian bach all you know he's a pro and everything but i would imagine it's a little more of a circus and george Strait might be much more you know professional and uh, do you have any you, I like can, bobby can you, smiling bobby yeah he's, smiling. he's laughing already so he's this is going to be cheese or something right now this yeah. answer is well, great well the thing is is george doesn't do touring anymore you know as far okay. as like multiple nights and that sort of thing it's all basically one-offs or weekends you know kind of uh you know big shows uh kind of more events yeah it's it's more that than sebastian and sebastian loves to tour you know like 
so the worst thing for Sebastian is to is to to go through airports and have that you know get up early and and have to you know all that craziness and stuff. He loves having a bus. He loves the whole lifestyle of traveling around in the bus and that sort of thing. So with Sebastian, it's definitely you know it's a daily sort of thing. You know playing uh, anywhere between four to six or seven nights a week. Uh, on the road and in, in that. So the traveling is, is a lot different. You know, it's gonna be a lot different with George. Um, and um, and same with Fate's Warning, it, it you know goes more into that sort of being on the road for weeks out, on, uh, at a time, unless you know there's a one-off fly-in sort of festival or European kind of thing and that sort of stuff. But uh, so the George thing is going to be different in, in those aspects. Um, but I'll have to see, you know, how that all kind of ends up uh, being. But, uh, you know, the George, you know, the band does have a bus. And so the bus will leave from this area. And, uh, and so, you know, when we play Vegas, uh, I can either fly or I can, you know, choose to, to ride in the bus or whatever it might be and then come back or whatever after those two nights and then so on, so on, you know, wherever it might be, wherever the shows might be. So I'll have to see how that all turns out, you know. I think yeah. some people, you know, like to have those options and work for someone that gives you those options. Yeah, I was going to say that's <laughs> Pretty a, damn nice because yeah, the yeah. bus and I, I always liked it when, you know, you play your last gig, uh, you know, you just did five weeks or whatever and, and you're on a bus and that bus trip back to Texas or whatever is this decompression for your head and your mind, you know what I mean? Your body and your mind. And it's like everyone does a toast and whatever your ritual is. Right. And that, that's, that's a decompress, a decompression ride. Yeah. You know? that sounds like a song title, but you know, I feel like that's, has something to do with, you know, I'm, I'm coming home, baby, you know, kind of a thing. And I, I, sure. I like that. I, I like that, that idea a lot. So the bus actually looks fairly attractive, especially if you're freaking tired and you have to get up in two hours to catch the plane. That doesn't right. seem hmm, two day bus ride or a 30 minute, you know, I've done that. I've done it. I mean, obviously, when Sebastian tours uh, are over, um, you know, the way the way we've been sort of working it out with the tour manager with Sebastian was we rented a, a bus maybe out of Nashville or and maybe the first shows in California or we rent a bus out of Florida and the first shows in, you know, up, a little up north or something. But the bus would come through and uh, pick up my drums my road cases and all that and so i would go on the bus and and go to the first show or maybe fly you know whatever but i've done after the tour's over the bus has to come back with the trailer to my house and drop off my drums so i've done it both ways i've taken a flight and then waited for two or three days for the bus to come home and then from wherever, and then, you know, and then we unload my drums and that sort of thing. Or I've also done the thing where, as you mentioned, that ride where it's just me, the bus driver, and my drum tech because everybody else <laughs> is flying to 
different parts of the the U.S. Can, flying can, home or whatever can be hella boring or very relaxing. I actually like it. You know, that's, I do. That's and what we, I'm saying. Yeah, we we go and you know we the bus driver. You know, like he, you know, he'll he'll drive you know eight hours or whatever, and we'll have some drinks on the bus and and that sort of thing, and then we'll stop at a hotel and. And I'll sleep on the bus, me and my tech, and then the uh, the bus driver will have the room, but we'll take some sh- take showers in the room, and then, you know, come back out, and then, you know, if during the day we'll stop and go to the mall, and we stopped one time when the bus came through Nash, uh, somewhere up north, and then went through Nashville and came home. We stopped off at Nashville and just like at night. And and went you know up up and down the strip Broadway and just you know watched the bands and kind of had a good time and I called some yes. friends and you know like it's kind of it's it's cool it's a little different you know I mean sure it's kind of great to be home especially when you're gone for a long time and all that but yeah. I usually like on a tour if a tour is that long like if it's an eight week tour I immediately pick two days you know if i see two dates open in a tour or whatever i'll fly home just for those two days somewhere in between maybe two or three times on a long tour just so i can be home i've flown home for like 12 hours and then flown back out you know just to be home for 12 hours i've done that before and well you you miss your wife yeah, of course. Yeah, you know, you wanna, you wanna, a lot of stuff to do at home when you're that, on the road. It's, yeah. So, so, you know, plus you're, you know, I, I know you were living in California for a while. Yeah. Six uh, years ago. Yeah. You want to, you want to tell us how, how and why you ended up out there and then how and why you came back to Texas? Yeah. You know, that was 2002 and that was kind of when Halford was winding down and being that I was playing with Rob from Just kind so, of late. I'm sorry to interrupt you. Can we tie that into how you got the Halford gig? I, I know the story. I was I was happy enough to ask you this question at Fitzgerald's in San Antonio when we did the Texas Metal Legion okay. show. And, and I got you in there to tell that story. Please tell that story again, if you don't mind. And then okay. had, had you end up in California? Yeah. Um, so... It's it's sort of uh, strange. I mean, it goes all the way back to Juggernaut. You know, when I first was uh, with Juggernaut and did two albums with them in, in, in oh, uh, yeah. 80, 86 and 87. Oh, yeah. And that's when, uh, oh, God. Uh, <clears throat> look at this. Yeah, it's going to happen. It's going to yeah. <laughs> You can see me reaching for mine. <laughs> I'm sorry. Go ahead, Bobby. We're listening. So what happened was I was playing, I was doing the Juggernaut thing, and um, – uh, right around that time, uh, when you guys, when Watchtower was was rehearsing over at my dad's place, uh, that was you, Ronnie, and Doug, and, and Rick, and uh, 80, 87, I believe. Was it eighty seven? Yeah. Uh, yes. And I had I had a <clears throat> at that point I had gotten the riot gig. I had just gotten the riot gig, and um, and you brought. Chris Liebengut over to the yeah. house because yes. he was, he had just come from Switzerland uh, and he was, he's coming over kind of, all, that was his stop on the way of going to LA, you know, be a writer and whatever, be in the music scene, that sort of thing. Yeah. He was a, uh, just for our listeners, Chris Liebengut is an interesting story. I won't spend too much time. 
he had basically been like pen palling with with the watched me and the watchtower guys and he said i'm coming over and he hit it off with rick and doug and he was living with rick and rick kolaluka and doug keezer from watchtower and while they'd all be at work he'd, he'd be their answering service and things like that and <laughs> i guess when we came down to to rehearse at at you guys's house the homestead your parents house uh yeah he he came with us because what we so leave him in austin just with the dogs no you know we we brought him to we brought him over to the jarzombeks and yeah. you take it from here yeah and so when you guys were in the in minor ronnie's bedroom practicing <laughs> so little kids in the bedroom right yeah and so chris is walking around outside i'm like who's this guy you know whatever so my drums were out in the lot, garage. lot lizard you know lot lizard this is like uh, loitering yeah and my drums were in the garage and so i'm out there practicing and he comes in you know and he or like he's talking to me and i introduce myself or whatever and he knows who i am and all this stuff and uh, you know he's a big fan of juggernaut and blah 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 and i had just gotten the the riot gig at that point and i think he knew that or whatever and so i'm practicing my riot songs nice oh yeah i'm practicing my riot songs in the garage and he's headbanging like along with just my drums <laughs> you know and he's and so it was just weird it was well, kind of weird i'm sure he probably it, it wait hold so were you you're rehearsing your riot songs um, just so everyone knows, are you rehearsing with headphones on, or is the, yeah, music, with, the music? No, you couldn't hear the music. You hear the music, but you was, could. You had headphones on. Yeah, I had headphones yeah. on. Yeah. So anyway, headbanging to the sound of your drums only. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, and knowing so, knowing Chris Liebengood, he probably recognized some of the song oh. by just hearing the fucking drums. Probably so. Yeah, and and so so we're, I'm doing that, and then he. Uh, but anyway, so I got to know Chris, then he moved out to LA and we kept in touch, you know, back then phone calls and letters, writing letters. And I mean, it was weird, um, as you mentioned, sort of the pen pal thing. And uh, so, so we got to be friends and he would kind of tell me what was going on in LA all the time, that sort of thing. And, uh, and right around that time, Roy, I had played with Riot like a few years later, a couple of years later, I'd, or maybe a year later, I played with Riot in LA and out at the country club and he came out and Roy Z came out and Roy Z saw me play with, uh, with um, Riot and was, and was really digging it. And Roy Z at that point, he was just had his own band, you know, his own kind of Latin sort of metal thing. And so Roy was trying to get me to move out to LA. And I was like, you know, and he'd send me like these promo packs of him and his band and this and that and join my band, this and thing. And I was like, nah, I don't, I, it scared me, you know, move somewhere like that. It just did. And so that went on for years and years where we would stay in touch. And then also me and Chris, of course, and I would go through town and play with Riot and I'd see him or whatever. Uh, over the years and it kind of continued on that sort of that cycle and but what happened was when uh, in 1999 that's when Rob was putting the Halford band together and it turned into you know like Chris at that point was a consultant to to Rob and Rob's manager at that point and trying to look for players for the band and that's when my name came up through 
uh, Roy Z and Chris both, you know, say, hey, Bobby would be great, you know, or whatever. And a few other guys came up, their names came up. And so they ended up uh, sort of getting, you know, like kind of a, a closed audition, you know, it wasn't, uh, it wasn't a cattle call sort of thing, but uh, they had a, two different guys do the demos. Uh, and both of those guys weren't double bass players. Both of them were kind of single bass players. One was Pete Parada, uh, who's now with The Offspring. And the other one was uh, this guy, Sid, and uh, who was in that in the Two Project with Rob. So, um, but they were looking for a metal drummer. And so my name came up and I, uh, and so they, uh, I got the call and I flew out there and as well as, you know, a, a couple of other guys or whatever, but I practiced with the band for a while. And as I was practicing with the band, kind of learning the songs and I, out of those demo tapes uh, that they had sent me, uh, Roy Z was in there working the songs out with us. And uh, I hope I'm not skipping around too much with this story because it's no, kind you're of good. a bunch of things in my head. Yeah, and you so, yeah, and so Rob at that point comes in the room while I'm working with the band or whatever, working on the songs, and Rob's listening, you know, he's walking around the room and he's, you know, like circling kind of, I'm reading my music, you know, because I've just learned the songs and stuff, and he's, and then so Rob's kind of like, he's getting kind of animated and stuff, and, you know, doing a couple of these and that sort of thing. Oh, yeah. And I was like, I guess he's digging it. And so we played a few, a few songs, I'm thinking maybe four or five more songs after he had gotten there. And he said, all right, you know, guys, let's go for dinner. And so we went to dinner. We went to, uh, uh, what's that name? That, well, it doesn't matter. We went to a Mexican restaurant over there in Burbank area. And, uh, and uh, Rob sat across from me. At, and there was a bunch of us there. It was the band and then a few extra people. I can't even remember who was there, but it was, and and me and Rob were just kind of talking and talking about San Antonio, you know, I was, and he was talking about the history of Judas Priest and San Antonio and Joe Anthony and oh, yeah. all this stuff. And, uh, you know, really cool conversation. And uh, after that, I kind of was like looking around and, and, and I asked, uh, you know, his manager, I said, hey, I said, oh, so what do you think? And he says, well, you got the gig. And it just kind of was like that, you know, it just, <laughs> it, it was like, you know, I guess he liked me, you know, the, he liked what he heard and he liked the, you know, the, the, everything. And that was it. I was in the band. So that's, Bobby, that's called a no brainer. All right. That's, yeah, awesome. that, that's what that's called. That's a no brainer. Bobby. So, yeah, at that point we did rehearsals and uh, um, I stayed there for, I think it was, we, then we, we were working on the stuff for Resurrection. And then a, a, after a couple of weeks of working with Z on the songs and, you know, pre-production and that sort of stuff, uh, we went into Sound City and cut the Resurrection record. And then I came home and I was home for probably, a, you know, a few months. And then the record came out and we went on tour with Iron Maiden. And it was, uh, you know, it kind of all went from there. It was I think I think Dave and myself saw that show in, at Sunken Gardens. Correct. Yeah, yeah. yeah the tour. We were yeah. both we were both there uh, together, uh, Jason and I, and uh, it was a great uh, bill. Maiden Halford. It, it was it was a great day. I mean, yeah, it was a great day. It great was just day. a great day for everyone right there. 
Yeah. Two days, two days. We did two, two days there. At oh, okay. Wow. Um, I, and I, at the time, uh, Look at that. he's got oh, a photo. Uh, there you go. There's your, oh, hometown, is, there, is there any way you crowd. can scan that Bobby? Can you, Oh, that's sick. Can you scan wow. that and uh, email it to me? So Jared can, can put it up as a slate in the show. Sure. Fantastic. We went panoramic one like this. Yeah, sure. that'd be great, dude. We did two days. We did it was Labor Day weekend, and we did, um, and uh, we did so we did the Sunday and the Monday, and uh, and it was my birthday on one of those two days, and Rob wow. announced it to the crowd, and it's one of my finest moments, I guess. You know, yeah, playing your hometown with Halford and yes, Rob saying, "Hey, you know, the whole audience." That I mean, the people that that are paying attention that know you as a household name in San Antonio in the, in the just music community. I I, I want to say heavy metal community because there's more to San Antonio than just heavy metal, but that's arguable to some people. So when Halford is like announcing your name and happy birthday and from hometown boy and all that, I think I shed a tear. I think my heart grew five <laughs> sizes, and I was just like, yes, this is what it's about right here. This is beautiful, beautiful, uh, um, you know, like suspended animation. Like the, the time's fucking stopped. Yeah. And yeah. it's one of those moments, and I'm glad that photo is what, exactly yeah. what it says, all everything I'm talking about. I, I wanted yeah, to Alfred would say, Bobby Shamrock on the drums. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> there was a time when Bobby Shamrock. Yeah, <laughs> the very first few gigs. <laughs> Shamrock. I kind of like it. I love it. Bobby Shamrock. <laughs> I, 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 wanted, yeah, I mean, I get teased about that. The band remembers that, you know. At that, of course point, they but, do. I wanted, yeah. I wanted to tell you, Bobby. Uh, leading into that gig, I spent about I don't know, fifteen years or so writing for the San Antonio Express News. I, I grew up. I was born and raised in San Antonio and um, I was writing for the San Antonio Express News as a music journalist, et cetera. And I interviewed Rob <laughs> leading into that gig that you're talking about. Wow. And so I was having this conversation with Rob uh, talking about him coming to San Antonio and the new album and his band. And of course, you know, I'm writing for San Antonio. I'm from San Antonio. And of course I got to bring up your name. Right. And I said, what about our hometown hero, Bobby Jarzombek? How did you find this guy? And, you know, what's what's he like to, to work with? And I'll always remember that uh, Rob, among other things, the first thing out of his mouth was, thank God for Bobby Jarzombek. And I was like, this is great. Because I, he felt like you were the man for, for the job. And, you know, I, I don't think he was just blowing smoke. You know, he was... Yeah. He was very sincere and appreciative, and and uh, he sounded like he was genuinely uh, grateful to have you in his band. And I thought that was really cool because I'm from San Antonio, and you were like the local boy made good. And I I'm yeah. getting it straight from Rob, you know. So yeah, thanks. That's, that's, that's a great. That's a. It's a Bobby. It's a. It's a fantastic story. Yeah. And I I feel like uh, your stories are working in this similar manner about your you're meeting people and you're doing these gigs and these people that you're meeting are fans of your previous works. And it's just kind of like this sort of like it, stepping stone across the water. It is like that. I mean, a lot of people, you know, I mean, you know, 
I mean, I don't get the question a lot anymore or whatever, but when I was sort of coming up and whatever, it's like, well, how do I get that gig? You know, or how did you get the, you know, asking, how do you, how do you get to that, that spot? You know, and it's, it is stepping stones. I mean, you know, and I don't want to say, you know, you have to play with everybody. You got to play with every band. You got to do this. You got to do that. You got to take every opportunity, but you got to, you know, you got to take some, some opportunities or some chances and do some things maybe that aren't particular, particularly your thing or something, or you say, oh, maybe I'm going to wait for something else. You know, you have to take those things and you got to do a good job. You have to, you know, and you have to work with people. You have to be a good person, you know, with them and, you know, learn the material. I mean, it's all the basic stuff, you yeah. know, but it just, it, it all kind of one gig. I mean, Juggernaut led to Riot. Riot led to Halford. And, you know, and it kind of keeps going on, you know. Yeah. But in between that, there were so many other little steps that were that I had to cross. You know, it wasn't just like one band to the next band to the next band. There's a lot of just internal sort of things that happen, too, that kind of makes all that stuff kind of come together. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. While we're still hot on Halford, um, both Dave and myself have read Confess, uh, Halford's book. Have you read the book? No, I haven't. Okay, that don't. That's okay. So I have. And I haven't read this either. Ah, uh, that's a good one too. Wow, I didn't I even have, know that was out. So I've read it. I, I, I don't know. I just have not. I need to sit down and read them though. Wow. How is the book, Rob's it's, book? Good? It's so good. I, I'm, I'm going to go first, Dave. It's so good. I mean, I'm emotionally attached uh, to to Rob Halford in many ways, and. Uh, He's one of my, obviously, he's one of my biggest influences just in the way that I sing and of course, uh, his tone and, and all of it, just the, you know, his jaw, the way he just holds things. And my, my, yeah. my point about the book was, is when he starts talking about, you know, putting the Halford band together and he's, mm -hmm. and he's mentioning everybody that he picked up from the band, you know, right from bass to guitar from bass to guitar you feel what i'm putting down uh, is are you still cool with rob because dude i pulled back chapters and read it five times you're not, not mentioned book. you're not mentioned in the book are you serious i am super angry at the editor for not hey hey rob wasn't there a drummer in halford <laughs> are you i would i i, I am, the first I, time i ever been told that i am 99 i pulled back the chapters and read it like so if anyone out there watching and listening to this Please wow. tell me I'm wrong. Please send me hate mail going, you're a dumbass, Jason. It's on page number. Blah, 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 blah. I'm wow. waiting because I want to I want to double check. Jason, Jason, I actually, Jason actually texted me and he goes, so are you finished with the book? And I said, yeah. And he goes, did you did you notice what he left out? And I was like, um, what? No, no. What, what are you talking about? And he goes, he left out a certain name and I had. I was actually not finished with the book yet, but I was to a point where he was talking about the Us Festival. 
And I told Jason, I said, oh, you know what? He forgot to mention that Triumph played the Us Festival. And Jason was like, that's not. Jason was like, Jason said, that's not what I'm talking about, dude. No offense to Triumph, but fuck Triumph at the Us Us Festival. I'm not talking about Triumph. I I was like, okay, there it is. There's the missing name. Triumph is obviously missing from this book. And Jason said, nope, that's not what I'm looking for, dude. Keep reading. And I kept reading. And then once he told me that uh, there was no mention of Bobby, I kept reading. I was like, wow, he's right. I don't think I saw it either. So, so Dave, you back me up. Yeah. You're backing really me up. Right there. That is so. I, I Bobby, I yeah. think it's an oversight. I do think that he just. I have no, I have no idea. I mean, it's blackout. Yeah. I mean, who knows? Um, I don't know how that could be explained. Uh, but yeah, I mean, of course, uh, it's fucking no... bizarre. I'm just gonna say it's fucking. I mean, like bizarre. I say, I'm shocked. It's the first time I've even heard about this. But yeah, I have. I hadn't read the book, so. Well, the fact um, that me and Dave are like super nerdy, and that we have a show where we get together and talk about stupid shit like this. Yeah. Have you finished with the book yet? Oh my god, so fucking good. Oh my god. Da, 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 da. Oh man, I'm bummed. Why, man? Why are you bummed? It's like. Fuck, man. I was looking for Bobby Jerzombek's name so I could go, all right, Texas. Woo! <laughs> and, and I'm like, what the fuck? And like tears, tears, tears. And, uh, here come the tears. You see what I did there? Yeah, I see so, what you did there. Oh, my God. What the F-bomb. Yeah. Gave back to I have, you know, I mean, the last time I saw Rob, I guess, was when um, – the last time they played here was uh, the Firepower Tour. Yeah, I saw you there. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I saw you there too. Yeah, from a different- I, you know went went in the uh, backstage, talked with the Rob and uh, Scott Travis and Glenn yeah. Tipton and all that, and yeah. that's the last time I saw him. Yeah, um, or maybe it was Dallas. Ah. No, we saw no, you. No, no, yeah, Andy Sneap was in the band. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was Dallas. That was the last time I saw him. We were, I was playing with uh, with uh, Sebastian. We had a night off, and Priest was actually playing in Dallas. It was oh, the weirdest okay. thing. So we went to the show. And- but I, I saw you early in the Firepower tour with Saxon, right? Yeah. Joe, and, Joe uh, Black, and Black Star Riders, I think. Black yeah. Star Riders, Saxon, and Priest. And, yep. Yeah. Saw you. Yeah, but uh, I have no idea why that. Uh, okay, but on so on Rob's, uh, you know, Mister Halford's cred- credibility is he didn't do that on purpose. Oh yeah, of course not. Yeah. Of course no, not. he did not do that on purpose. Yeah, that of course is, not. But if yeah. that be the only one that he forgot and left out. I mean, he mentions dangerous toys in there and not Bobby Jarzombek. What the fuck? Dude, I would give my fucking right arm to, like, cross out dangerous toys just to go back and make sure Bobby Jarzombek's fucking name was in there. I have no clue. I have no, no, absolutely. You wouldn't. I mean, it's got to be some kind of weird oversight in the whole thing. Yeah, yeah, you wouldn't. That's the only thing me and Dave can come up with is just it's a little – 
it's a little fuck up. I wonder why nobody else has brought that to my attention too. You know, it's because kind of they're, a, because they don't have a podcast where they nerd. I mean, we are nerd, yeah. nerd, yeah. fucking nerd. We're the guys yeah. that read the liner notes and, you know, yeah. so, uh, Bobby, anyway, you know, I hate to be the bringer of that bad news, but your your name. But, but I but I must say, and I think Jason will agree that it, the book is still a great read, and I, I oh my god, recommend it. it's a really good book. And by the way, so yeah. is that Sebastian book because I I have that right here, and I I've read it as well. Um, I wanted to ask Sebastian. You, Sebastian at one point said, like he told a story or something, and then he goes to me, and I said, oh man, that's cool, or whatever, and he says, well, dude, it's in my book. And I said, didn't you read my book? And then I was like, uh, no. Yes, I said, I haven't, nope. but I haven't read it yet. So, yeah, I wanted, I wanted to hey, talk about... Let's hope he didn't leave you out. I wanted, yeah, I wanted to talk about uh, Sebastian for a little bit because uh, out of all the bands that I know you two have played with, he seems like he'd be the wild card, like the sort of the... Really? Yeah, he well, I mean, you tell me, you tell me. He he's he he definitely has this persona as being sort of a wild man and a party animal and that sort of thing. So Sure. Yeah. Um what can you tell us about living in close quarters with Sebastian and touring with him and sharing a bus and all that stuff? Yeah, I mean, he loves the road sort of a uh, the whole lifestyle of being on the road and, and, you know, and living that and doing the meet and greets and all that sort of thing. I mean, it's cool. You know, he's, he's obviously takes up a lot of space because he's tall and, you know, it's kind of a little all over the place, but, uh, yeah, I mean, it, it's cool. I, I enjoy it. You know, it's uh, we listen to a lot of music, of course, a lot of Steely Dan and a lot of Donald Fagan and Allman Brothers and that sort of thing. And yeah, song yeah, song cool. crafting. Yeah, yeah, he's song just, you know, Yeah, yeah, and uh, but uh, I mean, it's cool. When I got the gig, I was sort of. It was it was one of those strange things like he had he loved resurrection and he was kind of putting his band together at that point, sort of reforming his band. He had some guy other guys with him for a while. And uh I was recommended through um first of all, uh Ralph Santola, uh the late Ralph Santola was the guitar player, and somehow I don't exactly sure how Ralph got in the band, but his I mean, his history of bands was death and uh, trying to think who else Ralph played with. He uh, was living in Florida at the time. And so Ralph got in the band. He recommended Steve DiGiorgio and Steve DiGiorgio, Metal Mike was playing in Testament and with Steve for a little while. And then Steve DiGiorgio recommended Metal Mike and Metal Mike recommended me. So I hadn't worked. It was kind of that weird sort of zigzag thing that we kind of talked about. We're, you know, working with different bands along the way or whatever. And so at that, at one point, me, Metal Mike and Steve DiGiorgio, you know, were in the band together with Sebastian or whatever. But I remember even when, when I was approached by it, Metal Mike said, Hey, you know, Sebastian's asking if we want to play in his band. And I'm like, really? I said, you know, Sebastian Bach, you know, and I was like, and I had seen him. It was kind of funny because I did a festival in Europe and it, on the bill was Sebastian kind of played sort of in the middle of the day with his band. And then 
Testament played uh, after him, and then Iced Earth played, and I was playing with Iced Earth that day. Mm -hmm. And so it was weird how we were all three in different bands, and uh, and that led to the Steve and Metal Mike from Testament playing in Sebastian, and then me playing in Sebastian's band. But I remember when I got the gig, basically, I and 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 I thought about it, and I said, "Well, you know, I can rock out a little bit." I, and I was like, "This is going to be cool because I don't have to like." practice like you know for weeks on. and months I don't, have, I don't have to practice no 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 no. it was just to me is like it was a cool gig because i didn't have to you know it no, wasn't hold on a second. I, wanna, I wanna think about that for a second i love no, that i don't have to practice this is going to be awesome no, i don't have to practice a bunch on this stuff i know what you mean I mean, all of, you know, at that point, I mean, Halford's stuff was, you know, was kind of involved as the solo stuff. And then also, you know, the priest stuff. And there's a lot of, you know, and, and so, I mean, I was basically learning Skid Row songs and stuff. And I was like, this is going to be kind of cool. I could, I could twirl my sticks more. I could, you know, or I could do this or that. And I could be rock and roll, you know, or, yeah, you know, yeah. I, I just thought it was going to be kind of a cool gig to have. And so, and it turned out that way. I mean, I didn't think, you know, 15 years later, I'd still be in his band. I never would. That was 2005. And so, uh, yeah, it's, you know, it's, it's been cool, you know, so. Yeah, the, the, the <laughs> you touched on something that I, I just have to bring this up because uh, I was thinking the same thing about the George Strait gig. <laughs> a guy like you, I'm like, he doesn't even have to practice. He's not even going to oh, break a sweat. You know, <laughs> it's it's weird it's weird that you say that uh, uh well i mean a lot of people think yeah country music's easy it's simple and stuff but in a way i mean there's so much that goes on inside the tunes you know just uh first of all you know when i'm when i got the the george gig i'm having to learn studio stuff the way they did it and i'm having to learn a lot of the way mike kennedy played you know the the George Strait stuff for night uh, for twenty seven years. So I did a lot of studying on the live tapes and uh, I mean uh, uh, board tapes and a lot of watching videos and and that sort of thing. And country doing, music to me, doing it's the a homework. different. It's huh? You're doing the homework. Yeah, and it's yeah. a whole different thing. You know, like playing country music and playing metal and your focus where your focus is and that sort of thing. So it's uh, in a way it's, I don't want to say it's more, it's di more difficult, but it's, it's different, you know, than, uh, than playing a metal gig. And I think for, you know, I've been playing country for 40 years and I've been playing metal for, for that long. And I think stepping into each one of them, it's it's weird. I don't I don't really think about it so much. I just know what to do, and I know the the gig and and that sort of thing. And um, but uh, yeah, the Sebastian thing was was interesting in the fact that I just I thought it'd be cool to rock out, you know. And so, are you uh, are you on the? Uh, I'm pretty sure this episode will be out before this happens. There's a gig coming up, I think, in September in Hinkley, Minnesota. Are you doing that with Sebastian? Mm, I have not been asked yet. Oh, okay. All but, right. But does, does uh, he have another? Does he have a sub? Does he have another? 
Well, over the over the years, um, if I'm, you know, like I joined Sebastian in 2005 and I joined Fate's Warning in 2007. Right. And that's a whole kind of weird story about how I ended up doing that kind of at the same sort of a little bit at the same time. But I ended up getting the the Fate's Warning gig and they have kind of been. Sometimes it's been where it's double booked, you know, Fates will have book something and Sebastian will book something. And then, and so Sebastian has gotten a couple of different drummers to, to do the gig when I haven't been available. Mm. But, um, and Fates has actually done it a couple of times also. So, wow. yeah, that's, that's kind of, I mean, things have overlapped a little bit. It hasn't happened a lot. And it hasn't happened much on, you know, for big tours, but for little stuff here or there, it's ha has happened. So you're, you're a busy guy to say the least. Yeah. Uh, let's, yeah. uh, let's talk about a little bit, just kind of a, a quickie version of, of sort of, you know, how you got the Halford gig, how you got the Sebastian gig, da, da, da. of, of the fate's warning thing. A uh, point I want to make before you answer is there's not one, but there's two San Antonio, heavy metal community alumni in Fate's Warning. That is true. Yes, it is true. Ray Alder. Yes, please. Yeah. Please. Um, uh, indulge us. How I got the Fates gig? Yes, yes sir. Wow. Well, first of all, um, Mark Zonder, you know, was the longtime drummer with mm -hmm. Fates. And uh, I'm not sure why exactly, but for some reason, uh, Mark... Um, and, and Jim, Matthias or whatever. Mark didn't want to do the tours or didn't want to do the records. I don't know what the deal was, but they were look, Jim was looking for another drummer for uh, Fate's Warning. And uh, at that point I was approached and I was even approached to record a record, the X record uh, or 10 as some people would say. And um, I actually did demos for that. But for some reason, and, and I came basically on a recommendation from Mike Portnoy. Um, and so did Nick DiVirgilio also came on a recommendation from Mike. And I recorded some demos. And for whatever reason, Jim didn't uh, ch choose to use me on the record. And he went back with Zonder on that. But for some reason, I, you know, that, that was parting ways, Zonder and and jim and the, the fates warning uh, guys and so um for some reason i guess jim felt like they had a tour coming up and they didn't they didn't um uh jim didn't ask me to do the tour maybe he thought i was you know mad because i didn't play they didn't use my tracks on the wreck i don't know what what it was and mm -hmm. still to this day i probably you know i don't know why but they asked nick to do the tour so nick did the european tour with him and this was 2007 and, uh, or 2006 when they did the tour. Then there was a festival that was going to come up in, um, in, uh, in Europe, in Italy, called the Evolution Festival. And Nick could not do the gig. So at that point, Jim looked at the bill for that day, and he saw that Sebastian was headlining. And so Jim called me and said, hey, you know, you're going to be with Sebastian on this, this gig um, in Italy. Would you mind, you know, playing with us also? And I, was, and I was like, well, there's a problem. I said, 
And this was before, and Sebastian was on a whole tour at that time, going to be at that time. Uh, and Fate's Warning, we're going to do it as a fly-in to Italy. But I had broken my wrist in my rehearsal room in L.A. when I was living in L.A. I was, I had just came off some a tour or something, and I threw all my hardware on the ground. And anybody who knows me, I don't wear shoes any, you know, chance I get, I will not wear shoes. I just, I hate shoes, you know, whatever. I play barefoot and all that. I still had my shoes on and I'm in my rehearsal room on the third floor in Hollywood and my hardware is all laying around the floor. And I was walking and my shoelace got caught around one of my uh, cymbal stands while it was laying on the floor around, you know, one of the legs or something. And I fell and I broke my wrist. And, and so I didn't know I broke it at that time. So I'm, the story is going wow, around weird places. This is not in a, uh, in a timeline. That's but anyway, okay. so I, I, call that, my, I call that talk louder podcast style. All right. <laughs> so I, so I'm laying, I'm laying there on the ground. I'm going, ah, shit. So I'm, I'm laying on the ground and, and I'm like, so I finished setting up my drums and it's kind of hurting me, you know? And so I'm setting up my drums and I get them set up and I try and hold a drumstick and I can't hold the drumstick. And, um, and I'm like, well, I guess I'll just practice double bass today. So I'm doing this, you know, practicing double bass for about an hour. And I'm like, this sucks. So I'm like, forget it. So I lock up my room and I, go to pick up my backpack and I can't even pick up my backpack because, and I'm like, Ooh, this is bad, you know, cause this is an hour later. So I go to the, there in Glendale, I go to the, the, the med clinic, whatever. And that's when they said, yeah, you have a fracture, you broke your wrist. And I was like, and at that point they said fracture. And I'm like, well, that's not so bad. You know, it, it can't be that bad. And then they were like, come back next week for your cast or in a few days. And I'm like, cast? How long do I have, have a cast on? And they're like, six weeks. And I'm like, I got to go on tour and, and you know, like four weeks or whatever it is. I said, I have a tour. And they said, no, you got to keep this on six weeks. And that's when I broke the news to everybody that, hey, I can't go on this long Sebastian tour. So I was at home during the middle of the summer while Sebastian's on this eight week tour of Europe. And I was so depressed about it, you know, about not being able to do the tour. So when Jim calls me and he says, I'll back up now to the Fate's Warning thing. Jim says, can you do this show with us? Evolution Festival in Italy. It's, you know, it was later along the, it was kind of at the end of the Sebastian tour he said, Sebastian's headlining. And I said, well, there's a problem. I said, I'm not on tour with Sebastian because I broke my wrist. And I said, he's got a fill-in drummer for this tour and of Europe and whatever. And I said, and, and, and I said, but my cast will be off, you know, three weeks before the tour, you know? And I, I said, uh, I said, uh, do you want me to do the gig? And they were like, yeah, you know, if you can do the gig, then, you know, that's cool. And they said uh, 50 minutes worth of music. So Jim sent me 50 minutes worth of, you know, the set list or whatever. So I wrote out all the songs 
charted them all out and stuff. And, and, and was, and I worked with a guy that does this therapy or whatever around my cast and stuff like that. And so, and it's funny because I was playing local gigs in LA at that time and I was playing gigs with one hand. I mean, I was literally going to my gigs and playing my local gigs. You know, we're sitting here laughing, but there's a pro drummer who's been playing gigs with one hand forever. Yeah. 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 Um, now, now so, I have a, I'm sorry, finish your story. Okay. So I broke my, so, so, so I did this therapy sort of stuff and then, and I was playing all these local gigs with one hand and stuff. But when the cast came off, I had about, I don't, I don't remember exactly, but let's say three weeks to look, to work on the fates warning stuff. And so I did, and I started going through it lightly or whatever. And within a couple of weeks, I felt my strength was back and everything in my left hand or whatever. And I ended up doing that show with Fates. I flew over, we did one rehearsal in Italy at a rehearsal studio. And I did the show the next day. Uh, and and we're all sitting around after our 50 minute set and then Nevermore played. And, uh, and then Sebastian headlined with a different drummer. And so we're staying, we're sitting around having beers and and you know and kicking back by the fire there at the Evolution Festival and and Jim goes hey if we book a tour you want to do a tour with us and I'm like hell yeah I'll do a tour with you guys and it's sort of just that's kind of how yeah. yeah the fates warning thing and and Jim started booking stuff and you know and then after the you know that whole thing with sebastian and the tour ended then sebastian called me back and then so now i was in both bands kind of trying to yeah try to do both and that's kind of how it do you have a do you have someone who sort of like handles your calendar or do you do all that oh yeah i do that holy yeah. shit <laughs> no, it's not that big of a deal you have I don't a, even write a lot of stuff down i just kind of have it in my wow, head wow that's amazing so i was gonna in my brain this is welcome to my brain for a second i would have like a yellow marker for the sebastian gig <laughs> a red marker for the halford gig a blue marker and you know it would just yeah. be a way that i'd be able to like separate everything oh, i yeah. have i have <laughs> got a heavy metal hat i got a country hat I, I got a sebastian hat whatever that is i got it right so i do have different color folders for every band i knew it go. it's color coordinated i, I knew, knew it, it. Yeah. yeah you know i i i don't have colored folders but i have name of the project written on a folder i have a small library of yeah, yeah. face yeah. warning folders red the sebastian is blue you getting this, Dave? This you is inside this? information. The Halford, yeah. because Halford stuff goes, <laughs> I've got like different folders for different. Uh, Era. You know, yeah. yeah. Sort, of, yeah. sort of that kind of thing. Uh, Bobby, I wanted to ask you, I have a friend uh, out of the Dallas-Fort Worth area named Wayne Stokely, who's a drummer who is currently playing in Lillian Axe. And he will absolutely kill me if I don't ask you about your time in Riot because he probably would rate Thunder Steel as one of the greatest albums of all time. So quickly give us a, a little summary of your time in, in Riot. Um, well, you know, that was my first big gig, you know, uh, I would say, you know, Juggernaut played, you know, Texas shows and, 
you know, and that sort of thing. And it was never a, you know, sort of a consistent thing and it was metal blade, but it, it was, it was what it was. There's that fly again. Cameo. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, I mean, that was, that was crazy to get a gig like that at that time and fly to New York, you know, and that thing for my first time on a plane and, and that sort of, sort of stuff. But, um, I mean, it was great working with Reality. And by the way, Mark's birthday is tomorrow. Mark oh, Reality. awesome. Yeah, I mean. Uh, how old would he have been? Do you recall? 58, maybe. Okay. 57, 58, which is All right. crazy because I'm 57. And to yeah, think that he was, I you know. Thought our, that, you always thought those riot guys were way ahead of us. You know what? They weren't. Yeah. Well, he was born in 55. So, yeah. And Ten years, he died yeah. like uh, eight years ago, something like that. Yeah. So. Um, but, you know, working with Mark was great. Uh, Mark was definitely a team player, you know, kind of guy where, uh, you know, as far as songwriting and um, and what everybody had to bring to the table as far as, you know, what uh, they're playing and, and that sort of stuff. So, I mean, him and Don wrote that Thunderskill record and uh, musically and Tony Moore then came in and, and you know, his crafting the lyrics and his voice and stuff was amazing for that time. And, you know, even though he's very sort of Halford-ish, maybe people would say, or this or that, he just didn't have those influences at all. You know, uh, he just had that, high, could do the high voice and that sort of thing. And that's why I think he sounds really unique on that uh, record. Um, but Mark and Don put that record together, Thunder Steel. And uh, after that came out, um, you know, I, I, we worked on The Privilege of Power, which was really experimental record, great record. And we kind of tried to push the boundaries and all that sort of stuff. Um, the thing with Riot that that did suck in a way was we never could, you know, like the band was always just that niche sort of thing, you know, where we could never, it never got beyond that. And Riot's career was like that forever. I mean, you know, with the early records of, you know, like uh, Fire Down Under and Narita and Rock City and all that. It was always just that band that, you know, never got the big break or whatever, or got beyond that hump, you know, or, uh, and, uh, but- Legend, uh, Legendary status. Yeah, I mean, you know, the thing is, is the, it's the numbers. Maybe, maybe the people counting the money didn't like didn't like where the numbers were going. But I'm telling you something: the fact that we're talking about Riot and the layers of Riot because of the lineup changes after after Fire Down Under, um, starting with uh, with Rhett Forrester, mm -hmm. and then the band sort of peeled off and became you know what thundersteel is which is power not power. not the old band it's it is it's power metal yeah. and it opened this other sort of like new uh world for riot fans to either hop in or go holy shit this is like yeah. i mean that's mark reality so I, I get the riot thing and that's mark reality's guitar playing i get it but holy shit this is a different uh, thing than just like, you know, like early Riot records sound like, right. you know, Diamond Head or, you know, a new wave of British heavy metal type of thing that would eventually become like, you know, popular with, you know, via Iron Maiden and Def Leppard. And the styles are sort of mixed in between. This was like, oh, mm -hmm. shit, 
get ready Europe because riots already big in Europe and Japan as a legendary stat type of a thing. And here's yeah. Thundersteel, which now you, you guys coulda, woulda, shoulda, if not, you did. And I just don't know it headline all those fucking festivals. You know, weird, whatever. Thing, you write about that. And the fact that when Thundersteel came out, this was before the internet and all that, this yeah. was 88. So Thundersteel was huge in Europe and we never even went to, to Europe on that what? record or, or, or privilege of power. And we went. What, what, what about Japan? You went to Japan. Well, yeah, and that was weird too because we did Thundersteel, and then we did a three-week tour of the U.S. Uh, two runs. We did one run like two weeks, and then another three-week or something, and then that was it. Then it was kind of like, okay, let's work on the next record. Mm. And we were writing Thunder. We were writing Privilege of Power. And we were done with it. We were, had completed the record. The record was completed. It just wasn't released yet. And then the booking agent at that time told us that Japan really wants Riot to come over. And, and you know, now, you know, basically one wants to book a tour. And we were like, well, we got this, another, this new record coming out in a few months. And they sort of pushed it back. And we then had this tour of Japan scheduled, five shows in Japan. And we played two songs from the Pillars of Power, even though the record wasn't even released yet, just this kind of, you know, like, hey, this yeah. is gonna be our next record. And we did that one tour of Japan, five shows. And then seven months later, we went and toured on the Privilege of Power because then that had come out like two months, two or three months after we had done the the uh the, the first tour but it was funny like going to japan like what you're mentioning about europe we had no idea that we were we didn't know you know in a way we didn't even know what songs to play because we had based our catalog sort of more upon you know what was popular in the states and that sort of stuff so when we went to um when we went to japan i still remember we flew into narita airport and then we did interviews for a couple of days and it sort of became apparent that we were kind of a big deal there you know in Japan at that time uh Masaito was doing the interviews and you know he's you know he's huge in, in Japan had his own yeah. tv show and yeah, tomato rock show yeah mm -hmm. and and we did all that stuff and then uh and then we I remember we did the first show was going to be in Osaka, but I remember we did Tokyo. We did the uh, we did interviews for two days, <clears throat> and then we took the we took a, the bullet train to Osaka, and the crew got there before us, and kind of just had you know and was already doing like a uh, you know logistics for uh, pre production sort of things for the show the next day. You know they kind of getting together with the Japanese crew and all that. And I remember we took the bullet train and then they picked us up in a bus and we were in like just a school bus kind of stuff, you know, thing or whatever, it's charter bus, you know? So we're in, in just in a bus and there's just the five band members and, you know, whatever, the booking agent that went with us. And I remember like we get to the hotel there in Osaka and there's like 200 kids like outside the hotel and 
And we're like, what the hell's going on here? You know, we thought it was some kind of like a wedding or or some kind of event for these kids. Uh, we didn't know, like we had no clue, you know? And our crew comes like, they're like getting through the door and they come onto the bus and we're like, what the hell's going on here? What is this? And then he goes, these fans are here for y'all. And we were like, what? 200 kids outside of the hotel. And it's weird because in Tokyo, they put us at a hotel that was kind of a, on the other side of town because they wanted to avoid that. So we were there for two days and had no clue. And we were like, these kids, everybody was are, is here for, I mean, we couldn't believe it. It was insane. The hotel front sliding glass, welcome riot on the, the, the hotel, you know, glass, you know, fucking, I mean, fucking Beatlemania, bro. And we, we ended up, <laughs> we got our, we, we, they got us off the bus and then we get into the, you know, like they had our rooms for us and stuff. And then you arrive in your room and you get like this nice welcome note from, uh, from uh, uh mr udo who the brought promoter. us there yeah yeah the promoter you know major you know he brought michael jackson madonna oh, yeah. everybody did in yeah. japan and so we get these letter you know these notes and flowers and all this kind of stuff to our room and so we got to our room and we all kind of like we're just blown away so we then we come back downstairs and we sign autographs for about three hours you know for all these fans that were hanging out but we had no idea and this is like i say this before the internet of course and so uh but we ended up playing you know those those five shows and then we we went uh home or whatever and then uh we ended up it's funny too because don calls it uh coat on chest you know like and when you sleep, when you just have your coat on your chest and you're sleeping on the floor. Yeah. And it was like, <laughs> we're at the, good. It's, it's like we're treated like kings in Japan. And then we come home and we're sleeping at the airport, coat on chest, you know? <laughs> it's just, and then we have pictures of us. And we even took pictures like we're in the street, you know, like sleeping with the coat on, like pretending like we're sleeping or whatever. <laughs> it's just kind of, it's one of those weird, funny things where, you know, I mean, it happened, you know, I mean, Jason, as you well know, when you're in this business, you have the highs of, you know, when you're on top and then you have the lows. And just because you get up this high doesn't mean it keeps going and keeps going like this. Your career goes like this and your 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 you know, the money goes like this, your the fame of whatever you want to call it goes like this and it just keeps this is that it just forever yeah, and it's, a, it's inconsistent it's so so inconsistent mm -hmm. and and that was the one thing that uh being a riot i mean that was my first sort of um you know uh impression was that you know that whole thunder steel and uh privilege of power and then going to japan and stuff and then coming back and then it was like you know, the band just, it was, there was nothing in the States, but the, the one great thing about, um, and I think Dangerous Toys was on CBS, wasn't the band Columbia? It, yeah. Uh, it was when we got the deal, it was CBS, but then like a year into the contract, Sony bought it, but yeah, it was CBS. So the original pressing had the red label with the yellow writing, like your your favorite Aerosmith record or whatever, the old CBS label, which I always thought was 
fucking awesome. You know, yeah, like, yeah, 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 it's the old school. But then Sony, yeah, whatever. That was pre CD. Yeah. That was before CDs. Right yeah. before CDs, I remember CDs were new in like ninety. Wow. Yeah, this was right. Was on CBS, uh, CBS Associated. Mm-hmm. Uh, but um, you know, the one thing about it is that we did learn, and the most important thing at that time was if you were somewhere in the world, uh, being that you were, we were on CBS people were able to get the record, you know, being on a label like that. So, and that's later we learned how big Thundersteel was in Europe and we had no idea. And so it was years later that the band finally got to play Europe. And by that time, Tony Moore wasn't in the band. Don wasn't in the band, you know, I mean, it was like different members in the band. Uh, so was, was Pete Perez in the band at that time? Okay. Yeah. Uh-huh. And another, so another San Antonian. And and not only that, but that was not yeah. And nine that was ninety. They riot went to finally went to Europe in ninety three, maybe. And I wasn't even in the band at that point. So, you know, when the band finally goes to Europe for the first time, you know, there's the only band, the only guy that was in that riot and uh, that Thundersteel Privilege for Power lineup was Mark, you know. So wow. it's kind of a shame how some of that stuff works out, you know, where it seems like you have your window and then you and then you missed it. And Riot did sort of at that time miss the, the big sort of European thing. Yeah. But, right. I mean, had Japan, but never you know, Europe. Yeah, you didn't get to bathe in the glory of Thundersteel at all. That's very, very sad that you guys were a part of something that made that, le- like I called it, legendary status. And the fact that it's Riot is another, like, thorn in, yeah. in the foot of the journey of Riot, how it just didn't uh, get there, you know? Um, I think that what Don has done, we're talking Don Van Stavern when you hear Don or DVS or whatever, when he, you know, when you think about what he's done with this Riot 5 thing, he's done extremely well with taking yeah, it he has. to that level of finally there is some like kingdom mm-hmm. you can stand in and, and bathe in for a moment even that relates to what could have, should have, would have been the Thundersteel glory day. Yeah. And, you know, Don has worked this ass off, yes, you know, he has. With, with this, with the riot five thing. And, you know, when he was putting it back together, I mean, we've talked, you know, several times about, you know, me being involved in it. And at different points, I kind of was going to, you know, over the last several years or whatever, but just never really worked out. And it's, it's tougher for them uh, being that I always had my schedule with uh, Sebastian or Fate's Warning where they're sort of trying to build something where they couldn't get, you know, like a, a six-week tour or whatever. And and I could never, and Don was like, hey, you know, you want to do this one festival? And I'm like, well, I can't really commit to one festival in June and, you know, next year at this point, you know, it, it kind of turns into that. And, but He's done really well with it, and and they sound really good. The singer yeah. uh, is great. Yeah, he is uh, great. Michael, he's, he's a great singer, and yeah, uh, yeah and they he's they've been able to you know do a few more records uh, since yeah. then. Yeah, and it's I think that it's it's continuing what Thundersteel mm-hmm. created. Yep, 
it's that power metal thing. It's that Euro style power metal with a riot name. They get to do the catalog of riot, whatever they want, but it's like they're doing fan favorites mm -hmm. to tie in with, with the new, uh, the new way. And I yeah. think that, uh, I think that it's great that, that there's, there is some, uh, some loyalty to, to, to it at all. Yeah. And I, I was trying to cash in on something because it's not really a money grab whatsoever. Don loves the band sure. and loves Riot and him and Mark were so close mm -hmm. that I think that that is the reason. It's like Mark is a big reason. Mark Reale is a big reason why I think Don's uh, heartstrings are attached to to the Riot name. And I think that him like taking this new band with these new records and the tone and the sound being relevant and, and sort of attached to the Thundersteel uh, legend, I think is beautiful. You know, the thing about those, that record, Thundersteel and, uh, and Privilege of Power too, and, and anything that Mark has written, you know, like after that, I would say, I mean, if you could compare it, when Don sort of wasn't in the band on the albums, uh, Nightbreaker, uh, uh, Brethren of the Longhouse, uh, Inishmore, uh, sense of society there was a you know like five or six records that uh mark did with the band probably more um and the band sort of had more of a little bit of a rainbow sound you know more oh. and mark because mark was really influenced by that don kind of had that more power metal element yes so it kind of it, it shifted a little bit to a little bit of a different sound but the great thing about mark is that record thundersteel especially um Mark used to like he used to sit in his bedroom with a guitar and, and like a song. I don't know if you know the song Flight of the Warrior, uh, but it, it, Mark would sit in his bedroom, you know, like and he just play like just with an acoustic guitar. And he had all these melodies that wow. I mean, he could write. Yeah. And 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 I mean, that's one thing that I mean, he had that great vibrato, of course, that, you know, sort of gary moore sort of kind of thing that mm -hmm, yeah guitar players now of course don't have that at all you know but you no know, that's a soul that's a soul that they're bringing to their guitar playing that actually makes them an individual it does i mean yeah. you know you hear a guy like david minichetti or any of those guys they exactly. all have that you paul know Kossoff, i love paul Kossoff from free his vibrato is so yeah. sick it just sounds like the the weeping willow it just reminds me of the sirens singing across the ocean that you know yeah. are taunting you it's there's something it's a soul it's hard to sorry i got colorful there but it's it's real <laughs> yeah and yeah. but mark would sit there and mark would just you know you know and he would just kind of like sing his melodies and stuff and whatever yeah. and then they put that over you know the heavy metal double bass and whatever a, a gallop or whatever but mark had he had that songwriting ability he really did i mean wow. and even like on the the other uh as i mentioned the stuff that's a little more rainbow sounding or whatever he had there, there was it's in similar ways it's kind of it's sort of fates it's similar to fate's warning riot is in ways in the fact that the band never really had a larger audience it was always sort of that small audience but the band has always put out really consistently great records you know the, the band and never really you know followed a trend so much or this or that it's you know good songs and 
uh, and Jim Matthias is like that too, you know, I mean, those guys are, you know, Mark was more influenced by, let's say, you know, Thin Lizzy or in the Beatles and, um, and, and Mark used to listen to a lot of country music too, which is, you know, a very cool thing. He's, but, he's a technical writer, I believe, but he's also very in tune with melody. Mm-hmm. When he writes solos, when he I, I I don't know if he works with Ray on melodies, but I'm sure that Ray does just fine with what uh, what I, I'm just, you know, imagining Ray writing a melody over something Jim would write. And I'm I'm sure that Ray has no problem coming up. with. Oh, I hear the melody automatically. True. Because uh, of the way that Jim writes. Yeah, he does. Jim does uh, write a little bit of the melodies or the wow. lyrics somewhat he has in the past. And but Ray handles a lot of that on his own. He really does. And Ray, well, he's, a, he's a melodic rock singer. Mm-hmm. When you he think is. about Ray, he's not this heavy metal like screecher. You know what I mean? Yeah, he, he is. He's melodic. And the, the unique thing about Ray, too, is he doesn't play guitar. He doesn't play you know, any kind of tuned instrument, he just sings, but he hears, you know, he's like that. He, he has a good ear for melody and, and Jim's, you know, Jim has always wrote melodic, uh, I'm talking about Matthias, obviously, Uh, always wrote, you know, melodically. I mean, you know, like he's, I mean, it's, it's weird, like his influence are Pink Floyd and then, you know, like a lot of different sort of, uh, it is songwriter stuff. And Jim, like, it's one thing about him. He's a very good acoustic gu- guitar player, too. You can watch him play. I mean, that's one thing that, uh, you know, that I've learned from playing country music is you can tell the guys, I can hear a guy play, you know, just, just strumming a, a chord or whatever. And I can tell if the guy's, you know, a good acoustic guitar player. And that's so, so important to... Uh, yeah, that, done, that doesn't always mean just because you're good on the heavy rock guitar, it doesn't mean that you can sound good on an acoustic at not all. Not at all. No. At all. I've, seen, I've seen electric guitar players put on acoustic guitar and it just looks like a piece of lumber around them i mean it just it looks so wrong it's so awkward and they got everything and everything's like right here in that little little area like that and acoustic guitar is big you know it's a strum it's like a you know it it's it's a bit it should sound huge it should sound full and you know this guy you know it's not that you know you can't you can't strum from like this you know and uh but jim had that mark had that you know and uh, as i mentioned uh, all the country guys that i play with have that too it's you know i I love it when i see a good acoustic a guy that can play acoustic well you know full sort of but bobby i feel like we barely touched on this and i as a san antonio guy i want to talk about uh juggernaut a little bit um i know we're running long here but uh, i wanted to get your thoughts on this period of your career because as a San Antonio kid you were got you guys were kind of like the local metal heroes to me and my friends and we were so proud of the fact that a San Antonio band had a record um, on a label and uh, you guys were making a name for yourself and 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 you you're a couple years older than me but at this point in your life I mean d- 
you, you just had to feel like you you made it, you know, where, tell me where your head was at when you, when you did this record and you got your deal and, and, and juggernaut standing in San Antonio at the time, because I felt like you were local heroes. Well, first of all, um, you know, Jason was doing Watchtower before that. And, and my brother was in S.A. Slayer before that. And, um, and it was strange because those were the better bands. I mean, than Juggernaut. They, you know, Watchtower was just the better, you know, better musicians. I don't know if it was better songs or whatever, but I thought that, I thought that, uh, and then Slayer was great, you know, and there were some other bands, but for whatever reason, you know, Harlan kind of had his shit together when it came to talking with record labels and, and that sort of thing. And Harlan ended up getting a record deal for Juggernaut for an EP uh, for this label Ironworks. I don't know why I remember that, but I actually do. Wow. Uh, but there was a, a label called Ironworks and the label didn't go anywhere and it folded. And somehow, I don't know how he got Brian Slagle's attention for Juggernaut, but he did. And um, I didn't play on the original Ironworks, uh, you know, demo of five, six songs. It's fun. I know it was six songs. Dave McLean from my buddy Dave, your buddy, uh, all of yeah. our, from, uh, uh, he played on uh, two of the songs on Juggernaut's first demo. And then there was another drummer who played on four songs. I don't even remember the guy's name. And that's what the band got signed to Metal Blade, and uh, into uh, and got signed to um, the original Ironworks deal. But the band was ever, kind of I don't, without. I don't a, think I ever knew that Dave McLean played on those demos that ultimately got the the Metal Blade deal for Juggernaut. Yeah, he played that's on Vengeance. Cool. Yeah, he played on Vengeance. Yeah. And he played on In the Blood of Virgins. He played on those two songs. Wow. And. Um, Maybe there was, oh yeah, there, no, 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 there was more than that. There was a uh, slow death. Mm. Man, maybe it was more than, yeah. But on the re-release, the Juggernaut box set, I think mm -hmm. those songs are on there. There's a re-release sort of. Yeah, those the versions that I have are the re the reissues with the yeah. vinyl. Scott gave me those. Mm. Scott, yeah, Rick, was... bass player, Juggernaut gave me those. This this was bought at Hastings Records in Windsor Park Mall in 1986. Yeah, thank, thank you very much. Thank you. Where I think Harlan and Scott both work. Uh, Harlan Harlan might have sold it to me actually. Maybe yeah. Bob Catlin and Tommy Pons all work there. <laughs> it was a gang. Yeah, it was a gang working there. So. Yeah, and I remember Tommy Satchel hanging around at the at the mall at that time too. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, you guys, you know, to me and my metalhead friends, you were, if if I had grown up in Austin, you guys were what Watchtower was to Austin, in my opinion, as a San Antonio guy. You had S.A. Slayer as well, but I think between S.A. Slayer and Juggernaut, um, you were the guys that everybody looked up to. You were doing the gigs at the Cameo Theater. You were on Metal Blade Records. You were, you were like the guys that were going to make it, man, you know? And well, and, you know, what happened was when Harlan ended up getting that deal for us for Metal Blade and they, you know, and so 
at that point, I wasn't even playing metal. I was playing country music, you know, with the Daryl Dugosh band at that time. I mean, that's what. That's a mouthful. <laughs> Bobby, you got a gig and, tonight? You got a gig tonight? Is that Juggernaut or is that Daryl Dugosh band? <laughs> and not only that, but in 84, the Daryl Dugosh band opened up for George Strait in uh, Amarillo. Uh, it all comes full circle. Full yeah, circle. Dave, I think that might be your cue. How about that? And, I wanted to ask Bobby one last question. Wait, 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 I want to tell this. I want to tell this. No, okay. Go ahead. Go ahead. Okay. Oh, what? Was there something else? Or, well, no, anyway, I, no, no, no. Let me tell you. He's got so another anyway, question. We got we'll get to it. With, with Metal Blade. And, uh, but, I, you know, I wanted to play metal. I really did because I was into, you know, like a lot of the band, the new, uh, new wave of British heavy metal. And I wanted to get in and I watched my brother do S.A. Slayer. And I was really wanting to be, you know, like doing metal again. You were, you were jealous of Ron? Yeah, of course. Wow. You know? Yeah. I mean, I really wanted, and then you were out there and, you know, all these buddy, buddies I had, you know, that were friends of mine. And I, I watched all you guys and I was like, God, man, I want to play metal because I love this music. And I was practicing with Restless and Wild and all these different records that were my favorite records at the time. And and so um, I had played, you know, with my brothers and, and I knew Harlan from way back then. Uh, when I was growing up and playing with my brothers in Tarrant, you know, our little high school band. And that's when Harlan approached me and asked me if I wanted to play in Juggernaut. And I was kind of like, wow, you know, do I want to do this and stuff? And so I said, yeah, you know, I, I mean, I, like I said, I knew the style. It's the same thing, you know, as, you know, just, I mean, growing up and practicing along with the records. So I ended up going to rehearsals and and learning the juggernaut stuff and that's when harlan said hey we got signed to metal blade records and then i was like really you know i was like this is this sounds like it's going to be pretty good i was you know like hoping for this ironworks thing or something and it just turned into actually going out and and going to austin and recording that the baptism under fire record and when it came out it what just, studio did you record that i didn't know that was recorded in austin Earth and Sky. Oh yeah, is that Carrie Crafton? Mm-hmm. Yeah, right yeah. off the highway. It was right off. You like you, yeah, thirty-five, and it was on the right. Yeah, right. it was right by the old airport. Did you know that uh, Meltdown and Tyrants in Distress from the first Watchtower record were recorded at that studio with Carrie? Really? Yeah, just those two songs. Wow. Yeah. I did not know that. Yeah. Yeah. And so we did that. And I remember when the record came out and I went over to Scott's house and picked up, show the vinyl one more time, Dave. And I picked up that from Scott's and I remember holding it in my hands and, and driving home in my little Ford Maverick. And I was like blown away. I was like, this is the greatest moment ever. Of course. Yeah. I still remember that. Love, love. This is why I asked the question, because to my knowledge, it's your first uh, real stab at fame and like your first like, oh, my God, it's Metal Blade Records. And uh, and you're you're at the time. How old are you at the time? You know, it, 22 maybe yeah so you're 22 yeah. years old you're signed to metal blade records and i'm sure you're, you're just super proud of this holding it in your hands and you know the future looks wide open at the time right 
Yeah, of course. You know what? You know how much money Metal Blade gave us to do that record? Uh oh, <laughs> this is going to be good. <laughs> $4,000. Holy 4, shit. Wow. <laughs> 4000 We did it in a week. We did, I still remember we did drums and bass in a day and a half. Eddie did his leads, I think. I think he did rhythms in the other half of the day. And then he did leads the next day. And then I guess Harlan had a day or two to do vocals and then mixed it in a day and it was done. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Well, and almost every song was one or two takes. You know? A lot of 22 year olds would think four grand is a lot of money. Yeah, especially in 1986, you know, yeah. 22 years old, 1986, four grand yeah. for Metal Blade. Yeah. Sounds, sounds like a recipe. Let's see, we're on Metal Blade and we got all this cash. We better <laughs> yeah. hurry up and make this record because yeah. time is money on two-inch tape. Yeah. Yeah. I, I wanted to acknowledge Juggernaut because I'm a San Antonio kid and uh, you guys were I'm glad our, you did, Dave. Thank you. Uh, you're Obviously, you've got an impressive track record, but has there ever been a band that you auditioned for that you didn't get the gig and you were kind of bummed out about it oh look at the face <laughs> yeah there was it, wow. this is this is uh, kind of funny and weird and in, in a way and it ties me and jason of course but the one gig that i never got that i auditioned for was dockin oh wow. when don dockin split from uh dot from dockin he formed his own band don dockin yep and that was the band. It wasn't Dawkins. It was Don Dawkins. Right. So I didn't get that gig. But Billy, actually, it was funny because I had done the I had done the Juggernaut record, the first one. And and I was looking for, you know, and then Billy was split from Watchtower and was split. looking. This is 87, maybe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, the last two gigs we did with, uh, this comes up a lot. Uh, the last two gigs we did with Watchtower with Billy in the band were in the was the first week of October of 1986. So it would have been close um, to yeah. yeah. So so I have a I'm glad that this came up because I was just talking about this. Billy uh called when the, the toys thing happened and I'm in Los Angeles. Billy calls me and he says, and this is in uh, like 88 this is in like uh fall winter in fall LA, yeah. of 88 and he says he, billy calls me he goes he goes hey i'm gonna be in los angeles and uh I, I need a place to crash billy white crashed on me and scott from dangerous toys couch at the oakwoods while he was auditioning for this mystery band that ended oh. up being Don Dockin. And he was mums the word. He didn't tell us shit. He, we we could we didn't fuck with him about it. We just were stoked to hey Billy, all right. You know, we're hanging out with Billy for like a few days. I don't know, four or five days or something. Wouldn't tell us your name was not mentioned. And now I never knew that you that you were out there uh auditioning. Well, it was weird. What happened was I was, you know, when Billy quit Watchtower, he, me and him were putting something together. We had a band, but it was just me and him. We didn't have a singer. And we wrote about eight songs and I, I still have them on cassette. Just what? me and Billy playing. What? Y'all need a singer? 
<laughs> and so we, me and Billy wrote like eight songs together. Sometimes I would go to Austin and rehearse there. And sometimes he would come to San Antonio and rehearse here. And we would put these songs together. And so that's when he got the Dokken, the Don Dokken gig. He moved over, to, he moved to LA and I had gotten the Riot gig. So I already had the Riot gig at this point, but I thought Don Dokken was a better deal, of course, than, than uh, and this would have been, yeah, you're right. It would have been 88, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Late and, and, yeah. What's that? Late 88. Yeah. Because I already had Riot at that point. I know I did. Mm -hmm. And so um, they, Billy told me, he said, man, we cannot find a drummer. We've been doing auditions and stuff. And, you know, none of these guys can play with this, you know, in LA or whatever. And he said, come out to LA, you know, fly out here. You could stay at my place with, and he had a place on the beach with the bass player, the guy from Black and Blue. Who who did? Billy? Billy. They had a place wow. on the beach somewhere. Wow. I stayed there. But I did the audition for uh, for Don Dock, and, and we did four songs or something, you know, In My Dreams, and uh, Just Got Lucky, and, you know, like those songs. I did four wow. songs with him. And 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 they it was kind of one of those things where Don Dokken was kind of watching me play and singing the songs or whatever. And then uh and after four songs or whatever, he was kind of like, you know, he says, you know, I, you you play like you've been like you're trained or like you're very, you know, uh technical drummer, you know, blah blah blah. And he started going on. He says, you know. Mick Brown and he's got this big, you know, sticks high and because people in the back want to see you with the sticks high and this and that and and you know like he was going on about it and I said yeah I can do that you know whatever but for whatever reason he didn't think I was the right guy for the gig and after the audition I asked Billy I said so what do you think and he said I don't know and then so everybody was kind of leaving because it was around Christmas time I think and going home for the holidays. And he was like, yeah, I don't know, man, we'll see. And so I called Billy the next week and I said, so what's going on? He says, well, I flew back to LA and we're still doing auditions. And I was like, well, I guess I don't have the gig. Wow, that's strange. And that was the one gig that I've auditioned for you, that do I you never feel got. Like, do you feel like you, do you feel like at some point you thought about it again, what Don Dockin of all people would tell you about your, I'll just call it showmanship and something that he was seeing that could have been lacking. I mean, you're auditioning. Are you supposed to showboat in an, you know, it's kind of a, I don't know. You know what I mean? Do you feel, yeah, like I know it's, it's weird. I mean, um, I just, for whatever reason, he thought I wasn't the right guy, you know, for a gig. But I've also seen it, too, where I've seen drummers play, and I'll know what the drummer's capability is, you know, beyond that one gig. And somebody will say, I don't think he's the right drummer for this band or whatever. And I say, well, you don't know the guy's playing. You don't really know the guy, what the guy can do and what the guy can his capabilities. And sometimes I think that that gets to be a little weird with some people who they don't think some some guy is the right guy for the gig just based upon one gig or whatever. Yeah. But yeah. for whatever reason, he just thought I wasn't the right guy, which is okay. You know, yeah. I mean, it's, yeah, 
but I feel like him saying, you know, you need more showmanship. And it's like, dude, I'm, I'm trying to get the gig off of like, I can play these songs as good as fucking anybody. I'm yeah. not really worried about my hair flip or my stick catch or whatever it is you're looking for. I have something I want to throw in here right now. So yeah. you think about all of the gigs you got and maybe all of the gigs you didn't get, one's going to outweigh the other. So here's 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 what I'm what I'm getting at is like you know I don't think that you should worry about your showmanship Bobby <laughs> I don't think you should worry about it much Okay He doesn't look Thanks, buddy. You know why you got the thumb dude Yeah <laughs> You showed Don the thumb I mean what the fuck and, and and you got the George Strait gig, so I oh, mean, yeah. well, holy shit! Now, yeah. I, Dave, I'm sorry to interrupt you again. This is this is a, a point I'm, I lost it, and you just brought me back in. Um, so, I want the world to know who's watching and listening this that whenever you see Bobby J on stage, just know that whatever hat he's wearing, whatever gig, if it's Fate's Warning, if it's Sebastian, if it's George Strait let's pretend it's you know in the 90s with your early 2000s with halford or whatever bobby j's holding back come he's on back. he's holding back but you know what here's here's something about you. bobby you tell me if i'm if i'm even oh, in the room tell me if i'm even in the room if i'm hot or cold when i say this shit right here okay you ready so there's a country band on stage and there's, of course, there's a drummer. If you are in the audience, let's say if you're a musician, even, and you're in the audience, or if you're just like, you know, knuckle dragger with a Budweiser in the audience, because there's going to be both, and you're just watching the band play, if the audience notices the drummer, they're overplaying. Talking about country music, talking about country music. I feel like if you notice the drummer, they're not doing their job right. Am I close? No? Really? You think that there's a place you can show off? I don't know. I would say... Uh, I think that you know what I'm trying to say. You can no, easily overplay. Yeah, you can. I, 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 think, I think so, but... You know, country music too. It's a little different live than it's sometimes when you hear it on the record. Uh, right. It's you know, I mean, especially, I mean, you know, especially if it's in an arena, there is some there. Is, it's different. A little more rock and roll, maybe. Yeah, it's a little more. I mean, there are. It's it's not so conservative, I would say. Yeah, okay. Uh, in its approach. Okay. Uh, I mean. I think what you said, you know, like that, I think that kind of applies more to the referee in football, you know, or, or <laughs> if you notice the referee, he's a bad, you know, like that. I, I think you're right. I think he <laughs> likes to be on camera, right? Yeah, well. Throwing a fit, right. But I don't think so, so much with drummer. I mean, there's so many cool things in country music with, with uh, you know, in drum, country music and drumming. Yeah. It's... uh. I notice a country, you know, I notice a lot of things um, about, you know, in, in country music about the drums. Right. You know, great fills, 
you know, if, if, if a guy's got a really nice, you know, if he's playing the train beat and there's certain accents or, I mean, there's yeah, yeah, certain yeah. things. Well, I know there's a lot be, of things. It has to be the right fill. It has to be, you have to play the songs, not the drums. Yeah, I, I do think, and that's something that I've learned about country music and uh, that I take into my heavy metal playing or whatever is I'll work on a fill if I'm, you know, if I'm learning a Fate's Warning song or, uh, you know, or Riot or whoever it might be, Halford, I'll listen to, I'll, I'll, you know, especially having my own Pro Tools rig and all that stuff, I'll, like, I'll listen, I'll play whatever fill I, I want, and I'll, I'll think, yeah, that's a good fill for this section going into the chorus or whatever, and I'll play it, and then I'll listen back to it, you know, just on a kind of demoing stuff for myself, and I'm like, nah, it doesn't quite work, you know, it's it kind of sticks out here, and it's whatever, and then it doesn't have it doesn't flow as nice or whatever. And then I'll kind of like, I'll work on another fill. And sometimes I'll spend like, sometimes I'll spend 20 minutes working on one fill. You know, it's, it's, it's crazy. It gets a little obsessive. Yeah, you're, you're talking about a two second song part or less. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I know. But sometimes it gets to that. Uh, welcome to the nerd festival, everyone. Yeah, <laughs> but that's I, one thing. A, a two-second part of a song. I mean, yeah, you know, but know. but but that's what makes Bobby a great drummer, and that's why he gets the gigs he gets because he he obsesses over you know minor details. Well, but, and Bobby of my think are minor details, but to him, it's like it's it's it, it needs to be perfect, and if it takes twenty yeah. minutes to figure it out, it takes twenty minutes to figure it out. You know. Well, yeah. I like it that he's almost he's almost saying, "Oh, it's got too many beats in it. It's got it's too busy, or <laughs> it's, it's not the right fill. If it's not the right fill, it's not the right one." Yeah. 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 Bobby, it's been an absolute honor having you on the show, uh, man. Uh, as a San Antonio kid, you, you, you and Juggernaut were heroes of mine and my metal buddies when we were kids growing up. And uh, uh, it's nice to know you as an acquaintance from time to time. When I do bump into you, I know you and Jason have some history together, uh, sure. and we're 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 stoked about your your gig with George Strait. That's that's a huge 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 honor any yeah. drummer would would yeah. love to have that gig so congratulations yeah. we're proud of you and and your track record man i mean it's pretty incredible the things you've done so thank you for being with us today and sharing your story and uh we wish you the best moving forward with george Strait. and I, i'm really envious of that thumb man i gotta yeah can you do I, both of them like that do yeah, they match only one at a time <laughs> <laughs> cost extra <laughs> yeah. And with that, ladies and gentlemen, thank you, Bobby Jarzombek, for joining us on the Talk Louder podcast today. I am Metal Dave Lesnar, along with my co-host, Jason McMaster, and we thank you for listening. Thank you, guys. 